Well, it's a while since I have preached in here, but it is good to see you all. What a passage, hey? I don't know whether there was a particular phrase that stood out for you, but for me, it was the hour has come. The time has finally come. And we use that phrase actually in language today, don't we? The time has come. Maybe you're here today and you're waiting for your time to come. You're waiting for that moment, that moment of glory, that moment of recognition, that moment of people finally seeing who you are. Might be that you're waiting to get a degree, perhaps you're waiting to get married, to have children, that moment when you can say, my time has finally come. Or maybe you're here today and you look back on a time when it felt like your time had finally come. A time of recognition, a time of celebration, a time of glory, all eyes on you. And the thing is, if you have already experienced that moment or if you're moving towards it, you probably know there's a road to glory. There's a road of hard work, of climbing the ladder, of showing up faithfully, of doing the hard stuff. Now, for a long time, Jesus knew that his time had not yet come. This idea of the time or the hour coming is something that comes up really often in the gospel we've just looked at, but it comes on Jesus' lips once prior to this point. In John 2, he's at a wedding at Cana in Galilee. His mother wants him to do a miracle, which actually he does, but what he says to her first is, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So at the beginning of the gospel, we have a Jesus who is very clear that his hour has not yet come. That makes it all the more interesting that right now we see Jesus say, my hour has come, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus says again in this passage, verse 27, I have come to this hour. Jesus has come to the hour of his own glorification. Now, in the beginning of the passage, we see him being celebrated as a king. When he rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, the crowds are going wild for him. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. This is a nation that is under Roman occupation. They are desperate to be saved. When they see this Jesus come in on a donkey, what they understand this to be is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah, that the king of the Jews will come to save them and he will come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is the moment of coronation of a king. Now, most translations here include a phrase that isn't in the original language. They call it the triumphal entry because it is a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is a king whose hour has come. It's his moment to be glorified. And like I said, the crowds are going wild. Jesus finally is getting the recognition that he deserves. He's getting the accolades that he deserves The hour has indeed come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
except that this is not how Jesus sees it, and it is not how the gospel writer sees it. This glorious coronation of Jesus coming into Jerusalem is not actually the key thing about the hour of his glorification. Jesus says, verse 23, if you've got the text in front of you or on a mobile, do grab it. Verse 23, he says, the hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the last time we heard Jesus say this, as I say, was back in John 2, and he's like, the hour has not yet come. The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, next breath. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Stay with the text. Have a look again at verses 32 and 33. Jesus goes on to say, and I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Next verse. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus is about to be glorified. This is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's very clear about that. He's going to be lifted up from the earth and all people are going to be drawn to him. This is the moment of his glorification, but his lifting up his glory will happen on a cross. What we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, that coming into Jerusalem is only the beginning of the week. The week ends with the hour of the glorification of the Son of Man having come, he is lifted up, but he is lifted up on a cross, which is a Roman instrument of torture. And the cross does not end in anything but death. It doesn't go straight to death either, it goes through torture. Jesus' glorification means becoming that kernel of wheat and dying. And because it dies, so bearing much fruit. And so the glory of Jesus being lifted up of all people from across initially the Jews, but across the earth, coming to him, this is going to be accomplished, but it's going to be accomplished only in suffering and ultimately only in death. some glory. And so for Jesus, this meant submitting his will to the Father. Jesus did not relish the cross. Have a look in your Bible. You'll see in verse 27, it troubled his soul. As it would trouble your soul, as it would trouble my soul, it troubled his soul. And yet, because of his love for the Father, he went willingly 
And actually, not even just willingly, but joyfully, the text tells us elsewhere, to that cross, that he might glorify the Father by his obedience. Now, I don't know what kind of story you were told when you finally decided to give your life to Christ. But it may not have been especially focused on this idea of suffering and death. We quite likely will have focused on the glory that is in the gospel, on the resurrection that is the other side of death. But let's be really clear here. In this kingdom, the only way to glory is through suffering and death. Jesus says in those few verses, 23 to 27, that we looked at, if anyone serves me, he must follow me implicitly into suffering, into death. We haven't always said it perhaps as clearly as we should. There is glory in the gospel. But the glory normally comes after the suffering and after the dying, not normally before, and certainly never instead of. The glory comes after the suffering and after the dying, not normally before, and definitely never instead of. The only road to glory is through death, and it will evermore be that way until the day that death is destroyed, that Jesus puts it under his feet along with every other enemy and hands the kingdom back to the Father. When he does that, death will be finished and there will only be glory. But until then, there is death, there is suffering. There is a lot of dying in discipleship. And I've been a Christian for over 20 years. And in all honesty with you, it's only really in the last two or three years that I've really begun to understand that. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've read the Gospels a lot of times. But I've come to know in a new way, there's a lot of dying in discipleship. Just as Jesus is unmoved by the earthly glories of the crowds going wild, them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, wanting for, them, for, for him to be their king and release them from Roman rule. Jesus is unmoved by all those earthly glories. And so also you and I must lay aside or die to the earthly glories of success, of achievement, of wealth of having the perfect family with 2.4 children, financial success, whatever it is that you've been directing your life towards, that I've been directing my life towards, the gospel call is to come and die to those things, to die to earthly glories. There's a lot of dying in discipleship. Sometimes it even means physical death. Maybe not here, maybe not now, but in many nations around the world, Death is assured if you are baptized as a believer. And it's been that way through many generations. Perhaps it will one day, God forbid, but perhaps it will one day be the same in the places where we are. But for even 
the rest of us for whom physical death maybe is not what we're going to expect for the gospel, there is the daily dying. There are the little deaths, you know, the choosing to do the thing that you don't want to do for the sake of loving the person that Jesus put in front of you. The choosing to do the thing that Jesus has asked you to do, even though you really, really, really don't want to do it and you just like to pretend he didn't ask you. There's a lot of dying in discipleship. Death to self-will, death to my preferences. Why don't you take a moment, even just now, to turn in your heart to the Lord and ask him, is there earthly glory I've been going after that you want me to die to, Lord? The thing is, of course, so often we kind of make a trade-off with God, don't we? We think, well, I'll die to the earthly glories because there's quite a lot of spiritual glory on offer. You know, there's, there's feelings of intimacy with Jesus. There's feelings of joy, of hope. There's feelings of peace. There's the glory of all my needs being met in Christ. There's the glory of having destiny written over my life. There's calling upon me. There's an anointing on us to do greater things than Jesus did even in his life. There are signs and wonders on the earth. There are manifestations of his presence, of revival. There are all kinds of supernatural interventions. We think I can satisfy myself with the spiritual glory. And so often we will willingly leave aside the earthly glory for the spiritual glory And it's right to celebrate the spiritual glory. But sometimes we have to die even to that. Sometimes we start to worship those things instead of Jesus. And he's a jealous God. So he puts a stop to it. Thing is, most of us, I speak mostly for myself perhaps, but I guess you might know where I'm coming from. I can be tempted to get excited about the feelings, the feelings of God's presence, the feelings of joy, the experiences, the power encounters, the platforms. I can get more excited about those things than I do about him. Back in the day, we would have said of that, that we love the gifts more than the giver. And so just as we have to die to earthly glories, we may also have to die to those glories that seem spiritual, but that are not actually him. Because he wants us to love him more even than these So again, why don't you take a moment just in silence to ask him, Lord, are there glories that have seemed spiritual to me that actually I've been idolizing? Friends, there is a lot of dying in discipleship. 
to the earthly glories, to the glories that look like they're spiritual and turn out not to be. There's a lot of dying in discipleship, but just as Jesus' obedience was the basis for the Father then glorifying him, so also with you and me. As the master, so the servant. Or in Jesus' words, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. You follow him into suffering and death, you follow him also into glory. Verse 26 of the passage makes it really clear. If we serve Jesus by following him even into death, the Father will honor or glorify, same, same word, will honor or glorify us also. Now, I can't promise it's going to be this side of physical death. Like I said, glory doesn't normally come this side of suffering and death. Sometimes it does. We get tastes of it. But we are receiving a kingdom that we can't even imagine. The glory that waits for you, that waits for me, who will walk the road of suffering and death towards that glory, is beyond our capacity to imagine. And that glory, whether it comes in part now or not, will come on that day when death will be destroyed. When Jesus puts every single enemy under his feet and hands the kingdom of God back to the Father on that day, death will have no more word to speak over your life. There will simply be glory, glory, glory. The scripture talks about the suffering and death, the dying in discipleship that we experience right now as being but light and momentary compared with the eternal weight of glory with which the Father will crown us on that day. That's why we accept the suffering, we accept the dying, not because it's good in itself, but that it is the road to the glory. And as the Messiah walked, and as we watch him walk, of course, this week, as we see him walk the final road to Jerusalem, as he walks the final suffering and death, so also you and I are called to that suffering and dying, but not that it might have the last word. Rather, instead, that the last word might be glory, because as the Father resurrected the Son, so also he resurrects us with him to share in that same glory. So if the Lord has spoken to you tonight about earthly glories to which you need to die or apparently spiritual glories to which you need to die, understand that it is in order that you might share in the greater glory. Let me take a moment, if I may, to pray for us that we would come to know that. But let me say also, if there is something you need to die to and you need help, invite someone you trust to pray with you about this. We can't do this Christian life alone. There's help. I know it's harder to meet than it used to be, but there are ways and means to do this. You, you don't need to bear the dying on your own. We do it together. So let's take a moment to come before the Lord as I finish.
Jesus, thank you so much that you were not bought by earthly glories. You didn't see coming into Jerusalem and being crowned as king by the people as the height of your ministry. You didn't see it as the fullness of your hour having come. You understood that your hour encompassed the whole of this week. And though your soul was troubled at the cross, thank you that yet even so you obeyed the Father. And because you did, he resurrected you to full glory at his right hand and that because of that, we get to follow in your footsteps. As with the master, so with us. And we thank you, Lord. Amen.